welcome to episode 22 of the Vast Podcast. I'm Michael, and I am excited to get into this conversation that Jake and I had with Pastor Phil Pringle. Pastor Phil is the founder and leader of C3 Church Global, an international movement of well over 500 churches, and the founding pastor of C3 Church in Sydney, Australia. He is also a prolific writer, painter, and speaker. In today's episode, we talked to Pastor Phil about his latest book, Disciple, which you can download by going to philpringle.com. We also talk about longevity in friendship and in ministry, and we talk about the finite mind trying to fully understand the mysteries of God. It is such a profound conversation full of so much wisdom. And hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, or wherever you're listening or watching this show today. And make sure and sign up for our email newsletter at www.vast.faith slash newsletter. Also, do not forget to rate the show on whatever platform you're listening to today and leave us a review. It goes such a long way in helping spread the word. Okay, that is enough of me. Let's get to the conversation that Jake and I had with Pastor Phil Pringle. Podcast. Welcome. So good it's, to have uh, you here. We're here with Pastor Phil Pringle. The, the goat. I'm happy to be here. The goat. <laughs> the goat. The founder of C3, along yes. with his beautiful wife, mm -hmm. Pastor Chris. And uh, we are very much happy members and participants. <laughs> members. Of... And we're kind of we're kind of in just opposite <laughs> sides of LA right now, right? Are you in LA or are you uh I'm in Culver City. Culver City. Yeah. Gorgeous. Not far away. Not yeah. too far away, but uh yeah, no, we've uh, known the Sweetmans forever. I mean, they've been part and parcel of the the warp and woof and the thread and the weave of <laughs> uh, of C three culture. So, uh, so we're very thankful to God for for Jake Sweetman and uh, Nicole, two of the finest people on earth. I'm so thankful to God for what they've their influence in our own family, actually. Uh, and uh, having Joe on the team and Christina's wife, which is my son and daughter-in-law, has been one of the delights of our whole experience of running the movement. So thank you, Jake and Nicole, for being such legends in that area. I appreciate you saying that. You absolutely don't need to. The honor is all ours, mm -hmm. and we love you. And we're just so appreciative to be walking in the footsteps of faith that you have laid out for us. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I'd love to say great things about Michael too, but I hardly even know the boy. So you there's know, not a, you I know, there's not, there's not a, a there's not a lot of good things to say. To be honest <laughs> with you, that's not true. I, I always, you know, I always tell Joe that um, at least twice a week, I remember that Pastor Phil follows me on Twitter, and I just get ashamed <laughs> about the things that I I say. So it's like. You're not on there, so that's, what, on that's what keeps me accountable. Would I be so, ashamed of you? <laughs> possibly, yes, yes. I'm, I'm down to I don't know. You gotta you gotta say okay, that's it. Like with social media, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. That's it for me. Mm -hmm. And I that's a lot. That's Facebook. a that's a lot. Yeah, yeah that's Facebook, good. I get I don't know about you, but I get lost inside there. You know mm -hmm. now. Call it meta, and you know, I don't know if I'm really there or not. You know, so, uh, <laughs> Am I meta? I don't know if I'm meta. I'm only on Instagram. That's the only place you can find me. Michael mm -hmm. try he keeps trying to tell me to get on Twitter, but I just can't do it. I just go there once a week, you know, and put if I think of something that's kind of pithy, I'll right. put it in there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The it's problem fun. is I don't have anything pithy to say. So <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. I've, I've heard you say a lot of great things. All the criticism I get is that I'm too wordy and too long-winded and I'm fitting in too much. So Twitter wasn't made for people like me. <laughs> 140 characters and you're out. Yeah. Although I have heard they've got a new feature now where you can microblog. Yep, it is. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can add. So it's you can write as many words as you want. Well, so really that to me kind of seems like it defeats the purpose. It does. Of Twitter. It does because, because when you shorten the words, it forces people to think mm-hmm. in yeah. distilled ways, in yeah. compact ways. You know? At so, that point, we're just kind of back to Tumblr or Blogspot or something like mm-hmm. that. Like it's, it's yeah. a, maybe those should make a resurgence. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well, there's, there's so much to talk about. There is today. Um, we're going to talk about your book, Disciple. Disciple, that just came out. When did that come out? The end of last year, correct? It did. It did, cool. just, just two months ago. Cool. Before we jump into that, I just want to ask a question. And I, we were talking before about what we were going to talk about. And I meant to, to ask, I just would love briefly. So you've been doing full-time ministry for how long now? Uh, 48 years. 48 years. 48 years. That is, that is incredible. That is, and, and you've been married how long? 50. 50. All to the same woman. All to the same woman. Yeah, to my first wife. Same church. And I, it, I just want to, it was, it's interesting to me. And I guess I'll get to the question in a second, but I've been a part of C3 now since I think 2010, when I moved to Los Angeles and I met you. Yep. Um, and one of the first things that I thought was amazing and was struck with was the longevity of relationship mm-hmm. that exists within C3 and the longevity of, again, pastors, members that have just been around mm-hmm. for a long, long time. Much of the team that you still lead with uh, you've been friends with for decades. So before we jump into the book, I would just love to ask you, we have a lot of uh, youth pastors, young adult pastors. We have a lot of pastors that listen to the podcast. What would you say are just just some of the keys or the themes that you've carried with you over yeah. that length of time? Because I think it is really, really rare. And one of the things that I just so love and appreciate about, That's awesome. about you and C3. You know, uh, there was a, there's a story, and I'm not sure if it's actually true, but it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's, it's about, <laughs> Sounds like uh, a preacher story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I heard that like Winston Churchill's father saved this young person from a terrible situation who became a doctor who invented a drug that helped save Winston Churchill, his son. And I, you know, even if it's not true, the kind of, that's kind of like Jake's dad came to Christ at 15 years of age in our church in DY, uh, in Australia. And then he has two boys and magnificent young men who grow up and doing incredible things. And now he's, you know, Jake is helping us with like being, including my son and daughter-in-law in the team. And so, and it's been on a journey. Mm-hmm. So it's like a very big full circle that there's a lot of sacredness in that Mm -hmm. to be respected. There's a lot of divinity in that. Now, there have been opportunities, if you like, for those relationships to be broken Mm -hmm. at moments. There are, but we will do everything. I will lay down everything to maintain relationships because I think they're sacred and they're divinely organized. And so we have been friends for a long time. And I see the devil destroy great divinely arranged relationships that people haven't regarded with enough value. They've valued opportunity over relationship. Mm. So they're in, a, they're in a team, you know, but then 
an apparently better relation uh, opportunity comes up. Right. So they leave the relationship and go and live in a lonely leadership position. Mm. Wondering what the heck was I thinking? You know, like, wow. and, and, and I don't think, you know, and then today we've got polarizations in the church on opinions where people think opinions are more important than relationships. Mm-hmm. So I've got opinions too. Mm-hmm. But if it's going to divide me from somebody else, the Bible says lay it down because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the relationship is more important. And so my my deal is also that uh, all the guys that we've, you feel a resonance with people that you're meant to be with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You get this, this, uh, sound on the inside of you that this is somebody who's walking to the beat of the same drum Mm -hmm. and they're hearing the same thing like a mark kelsey and i that i can think of something and he'll he will say it you know Mm -hmm. and we you get joined and you're in unity and you call together and so i we just established hey guys let's be disciples together of jesus before we are professional church organization people before we are ministers before we are organizers whatever let's be just like the disciples of christ and and in that i'm i've been the leader throughout all that time but they and and somehow that's worked because familiarity can sometimes dilute Mm -hmm. the authority that the leader has i mean in the army the lieutenants and the generals and they were all in different tents and you actually they, they had severe penalties for getting fraternizing mm. down down the chain because when the time came for issuing an order, you wanted to know that there was authority there. And, mm-hmm. But our guys have, I think, we, we've done reasonably well at not letting the familiarity and intimacy of great relationships uh, cloud the chain of command. That's really good. I, I think about a couple of different things. It's a common sentiment, I think, in leadership teaching, and even in in church leadership, you hear this about how leadership is lonely, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, and sure, there might be some days where you feel a bit alone. I don't know that that's supposed to be the modus operandi, though. And totally certainly, not. if Jesus could say, yeah. that you are my friends. Come on. Then we mm-hmm. also should have friendship in, in leadership position. Do you want to just talk a little bit about um, that mentality towards leadership, about how it implicitly comes along with loneliness and that loneliness needs to be embraced? I mean, is there danger to that way of thinking? I, <clears throat> it, uh, leadership can be lonely, but it doesn't need to be unnecessarily lonely. Mm-hmm. It's only going to be lonely on those days when you're the only guy who can make the decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no one else who can make this choice. You've got to make the choice. And But I would say that's only at maximum 10% of my leadership is in that zone. But, you know, most, uh, yeah, most of the decisions in our organization, our team, I would say 50% are made in conference with others. Mm-hmm. 10% made by me on my own, which is this the big picture stuff. Mm-hmm. We, we, this is where we would like to go, people. Now let's all talk about how we're going to get there, when we're going to get there, and who's going to take us there. Mm-hmm. So 
the strategy, I think, is in the, the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. There's a corporate mind that when you come together, and that's one of the reasons I believe being physically in the same space as the other members of the team, I've never found it quite the same on a Zoom or, you know, but I think when you're actually physically present with one another, you tend to get an, an energy and a, a corporate thinking. Mm -hmm. And you think of things that you would not have thought of if you were not in that mm -hmm. deal. And sometimes I will think a big thought, somebody else comes in to modify it. And I think this is important that teams understand that we are called, we, I got to respect the brain of everybody around that room and therefore make sure that everybody's brain is engaged, not distracted. So no phones and stuff. Give me a hundred percent of your brain. And then number two, I want to make sure that you talk. So that I, I shut down the over talker. The guy who always talks mm. and uh, <laughs> he's got too much to say and he thinks through his mouth. Not, not in his head. That's what me. Jake. What Jake wants to say right now is that I'm the overtalker. No, I'm so, the overtalker. So you're saying that I'm the overtalker. No, I'll throw myself under underneath that bus, Michael. You're very thoughtful and measured. <laughs> oh, I yeah. I'm an over. Look at me. I'm already. See, I'm just overtalking. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Pastor. No, Paul. it's it's true. So I just think that uh, yeah, exactly. He just said it was not, true that I was an overtalker. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> it's true that that the team is is where you think and uh, together. But then there's like uh, a couple of years ago, um, we took a meeting in the press and I'm, I'm in the targets, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. you, you can't, you, it's not everybody. Mm -hmm. They're all feeling it a little bit, but you, you're the one shaking in bed at night, you know, mm -hmm. traumatized or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you are on your own, but then the guys come around and they stand with you. There are other moments where you might have made a really big mistake, mm -hmm. and you're on your own. You, you I mean, again, they'll support you, but you've got to come up and admit to that and say, "Here's me, mm -hmm. guys. I, I blew it." And any good leader knows that if the whole team makes a mistake, the leader says, "I've blown it. Where have I blown it in this whole thing?" and mm -hmm and takes it and when you have a big win that you give the credit away you don't say i did it tell them they did it i just you know was along for the ride so i think understanding when you are meant to be on your own and alone is, is super important i think one of the reasons elijah got very depressed uh was because he left his servant in the wilderness when he went on his journey to the cave mm -hmm. and he got suicidal mm -hmm. And I think people can avoid self-harm, suicidal thoughts if they're in good company mm. and they keep that fellowship happening every day mm -hmm. at the church. How have, how have those guys, you know, you mentioned uh, Mark Kelsey, and I know there's several others that have been with you and you guys have been walking together all these years. <clears throat> what are ways that they've, so I'm I'm not a senior pastor, but you guys are, are both. So for someone like me who is friends with, like we're, some of the best friends in the world. He's also my pastor, right? Also my leader. So what are some ways that those guys have walked beside you and made sure that you didn't feel alone maybe when you would have, or like you mentioned a, a time last year, a couple of years ago where there was a difficulty, what did those guys do to just come around you and say, Hey, we don't want you to be alone hmm. in this moment. Think, what are I some think, ways to um, do that? Yeah. I think, I think the respect factor 
demands that number one, I respect them and I also invite them into my world. So if I'm not welcoming that intrusion or whatever you call it, that invasion into my lonely space, because I'm actually, uh, there's a piece of me that's introverted and I, I need to get into my cave and think through a matter and somebody coming into that space say, hey, how are you? You know, it's, it's kind of annoying because I, I, I know I can get to the other side of this if I can just stay thinking on it uh, in prayer. And But then there are definitely moments where I think I am not up to solving all this on my own. So I call these guys in. And that's one way. There are other ways where there's a guy on our team called Greg French. He is extremely invasive. And I love it. <laughs> I thank God for it. He just walks into my office, does a knock, doesn't do anything, walks around the room, back and hugs me. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and sometimes that's all he does. Then walks right out again. He says, I'm praying for you, believing with you. And he's been one of the best friends to have in the trenches. Wow. Um, Mark Kelsey is not like that. He's, he's too respectful. <laughs> It's like, but he's there. I know that. And Simon McIntyre's a different kind of friend. He's uh, a close confidant. Uh, and, and all of them, I feel the love. You know, I feel their, their support, their strength. But more than anything, I feel their love. And that's an awesome thing, just to know that there are some people in the world. And that. They're not like presidents of countries or famous or people or hugely wealthy or anything, but the most powerful thing that they can do is, is to actually love their leader. And so I think that's one of the biggest uh, qualities that have come out of that. And that's what disciples are, you know, they, they love one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's go back to that sentiment. You had made that great statement earlier about deciding together to uh, just to be fellow disciples of Jesus. Um, also, if that was like an actual conversation, that's amazing. I know. Yeah, I love that. it was. And it has been at various times because you've got to strip away all the other stuff that accumulates on you, including the politics of an organization, mm -hmm. the uh, differences of opinions. Not all of us share the same opinions, even theological opinions. Mm. Uh, so, but those things and none of them have been more precious whoa let's talk about that journey together let's talk about that yeah okay let's let's bring all the the, the c3 theological disagreements out into the open pastor field <laughs> so i always knew pastor so i was well, a calvinist i just always knew it. I'm, <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding but that's a really important thing because young people like ourselves can be quite we can be quite ideologically committed um and one of the things that God's been teaching me in the last year is just to be more ecumenical. Um, and I've been trying to just read, I've been trying to read a lot of church history. Um, and I read a great book recently called Water from a Deep Well. And he went through, there's like seven or eight movements throughout the church from the beginning of the church up until now and highlighting the incredible contributions that they've made to the Christian faith, even though they differ from one another so deeply. If you put, you know, the two leaders of these kinds of movements in a room, they'd have a lot of disagreement. 
But when you take the long view and you, you know, all of them are with, within the bounds of orthodoxy, they just have different things that they highlight and emphasize. And then they might disagree on like some secondary issues really heavily, but on the whole, they contributed uh, to Christianity uh, in a really, really special way, way that we today are all eating the fruit of. <clears throat> on a micro level, you're saying that on a team, you can actually have some disagreements theologically and I hope, I hope there are because truth is established in tension and uh, it's, it's, it's always, it's never like either this or that. And we've got a finite brain. I mean, this is very limited. This, this head we've got, it cannot comprehend a universe that never ends. Mm -hmm. It runs out of RAM. It, there is not enough brain power in there to be able to actually fully comprehend that. It just doesn't end. To have a God who doesn't have a beginning and neither does he have an end is also beyond our comprehension. Mm -hmm. How can something not have a beginning? Because mm -hmm. these are finite. Mm -hmm. These brains are equipped for beginning and ending. Mm -hmm. Time, that time bound. Mm -hmm. Whereas God is infinite. Mm -hmm. And he has no beginning, has no end. And just the fact that we can't comprehend it doesn't mean it's not real. Mm -hmm. It's like we can't hear certain frequencies. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they're not real because dogs hear them. Mm -hmm. They're going to hear that high-pitched whistle because we can't see everything, but there are X-rays, there's mm -hmm. gamma rays, there's all these other rays that are outside our frequency, and it's the same with our head. We do not have the ability to comprehend all of God. And so to have a debate about some things, and I encourage debate uh, simply because it's in the debate that, Strong, the strongest conviction is generally going to win, but the intelligence that is harvested out of ideas that are knocking at each other, actually, I think God is in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. And I also think that God can seem, uh, because he's like a diamond, there's a scripture in Ephesians, the many-sided grace of God. So at one cut, you see this light of God. You go around the other side of the diamond and there's another light coming out of that that is vastly different. Mm -hmm. And so you have these, you have the mercy of God, you have the judgment of God and neither are being relaxed. Mm -hmm. How can they live mm -hmm. together in the same way? The honor of God, the, the laying down of his life. There are so many things that are juxt juxtaposed mm -hmm. into the nature of God that are almost opposite. Mm -hmm. And to reconcile those, I think, number one, is impossible for the finite brain. But I think to hold them Intention. both at a 100% level mm -hmm. without, without sacrificing one truth for the sake of another, mm -hmm. but saying they both exist, we don't know how, mm -hmm. predestination, free will of man, mm -hmm. it's, it's a never-ending cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're both there. Mm -hmm. And just because we can't resolve it doesn't mean it isn't real. Mm -hmm. It is in the zone of infinite and eternity. That's my take on it anyway. And so I do find that within a group, uh, we don't have huge differences about some things. I mean, some guys believe in the gap theory between Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, others don't. Mm -hmm. um, some would lean towards Calvinism, others towards Arminius, you know, free will, we mm -hmm. make our choices. I would have to say that over my Christian life, I've kind of seesawed 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of uncommitted. Uh, <laughs> there are days when I think, wow, God just arranged this whole thing. And then there are other days I think, but it doesn't seem like God's done much. And I've been working pretty hard at this whole thing and making it happen. <laughs> you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's the both are true. And I think being a human under God is a perplexing experience sometimes trying to hold divergent truths uh, at the same time. But, but it's definitely a possibility. So then you go to a thing called trust because there are a lot of things that are mysteries in Scripture. Paul says, I've got, there's a mystery of this, there's a mystery. There's quite a few. I can't, I did a count of them at one stage. I think I've got to around about 30. They're not resolved. They're not answered. They're left as mysteries. Behold, and then one, he says, I show you a mystery. This is going to, this is one of the mysteries that he actually reveals. But uh, when we speak in tongues, it says we speak mysteries to God. No man understands. So in the mystery realm of God, we go to trust, where we just trust him. We're saying, I trust you, God. I don't understand. I don't fully comprehend this whole thing. And maybe one day I will. But until I do, I'm not going to dismiss you just because I don't understand it with my puny little head here. I am going, I'm going to trust mm-hmm. And I call that the neutral gear. You're not in the forward gear of faith, but you're not going into reverse gear mm-hmm. and backing out of this whole thing that I can't decipher. Mm-hmm. I'm going to trust the Lord. Mm-hmm. Surely you would have some boundaries where, because for me, it's like, yeah, there's debate around secondary issues, but there are things where we need to be in complete agreement on uh, within sure. faith. Um, is that something that you... Yeah, I, I mean, there's, uh, I feel I hear some people going a little soft on eternal destinations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're okay with heaven, but don't know about hell. Uh, I'm not sure you can have one without the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure that uh, and with salvation, some people think uh, everybody's got to make a decision in a, in a point in time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I would say salvation is the confession of Christ. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. So how you get to that, whether it's by an evolutionary process as a Christian kid growing up in a Christian home, or if it is a dramatic moment where you turn from dark life to life that's full of life in, in Christ, then, but I think there's, there's various ways that, and that people get saved. But definitely we would say, the big baseline that we are here for is that people receive Jesus mm-hmm. and then make that the stepping stone that embarks them on a, a life of discipleship. Yeah. I think that's a great example. Like even between Mike and I, you would have both of those things. Like Mike has a conversion moment mm-hmm. where he came to Christ and I'm the kid who grew up in church and I was just raised in the atmosphere of Christianity. And I don't remember a moment where I necessarily decided I've had several moments mm-hmm. where I've decided. Exactly. Um, and when I read the scriptures, actually, it seems to me that that, that is God's generational preference. Not that yeah. one is better than I'm not making a value statement there. I'm saying if you're to take God's instruction in Deuteronomy seriously about how he wanted Israel to operate, he didn't want children to grow up and 
uh, have to make a decision. He wanted them to grow up with the faith built into them. That's why he puts so much emphasis on, you know, uh, when you're going out, when you're coming in, when you're in the fields, when you're at home, teach your kids this law, right? So I think if families are doing what families are supposed to be doing, then um, that's the way yeah. faith gets passed down generally. Exactly. Yeah. Let's come on to the subject of disciple, mm-hmm. um, discipleship. You've written this book uh, on disciple, which I've heard you talk about was in your heart for several years, I believe you said. Yeah, about about maybe even up to 20. I think I started writing it about 20 years ago. It just was a very hard book to write. And it ended up being a very small book. At one stage, it was a, twice the size. <laughs> so the, the, the process of good writing, in my view, is elimination. <laughs> mm, that's good. Take that to the old sermon writing bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every just, word matters. Every word matters. You don't <laughs> understand. Yeah, uh, just say, there's a great um, writer's saying is murder your darlings. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just so love to have that in there. It's so impressive. You just want to say it, but it's killing the sense of it's, it's re- diluting the impact. So, yeah. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I guess why, what, was there any particular thing about the timing of the release? If you've had this book in your heart for 20 years, what was well, it that made you go, I've got to get this out? Exactly. Well, okay. And that's a great question, Pastor Jake. It is, uh, it's the COVID pr- uh, thing that when, when that hit and people got isolated and we couldn't have church in Australia, you weren't allowed to meet or gather for some churches it was like nearly 18 months others about 12 and for us maybe uh four and then another little spate of it and now actually it's locked down again our church uh there and and i found that because the rhythm of church was broken up a lot of people christianity felt a bit uh like that their prayer life their church life i mean to go online and watch church worship you know we started out by doing the same thing you know like you have a few songs worship then preach trying to put church online but that doesn't work Mm. so we got it down to about 50 minutes uh people we hope would worship at home but then we found really honestly most of them are just in their pajamas doing emails while you're on the screen over here and most of them put up their avatar they're not got a live camera on Mm -hmm. and so the need to get discipleship happening where people are personally internally motivated by an internal stimulus rather than an external one became really important for me and so i i thought here i was as a pastor assuming that all our people had the same level of commitment to follow Christ as myself mm-hmm. uh, and as others, you know, because we just get up, we pray, we do our thing. But when they haven't got these connect groups saying, hey, we're praying on Tuesday morning and we're meeting on Thursday night and we've got church on Sunday morning, we're going to bring a friend to this special event. When there's not all these other things helping them to walk that life, they actually maybe don't have what we would anticipate they would have an inside. And so that was one motivation. Then I found that there were a few scandals in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, quite famous preachers falling 
and uh, unex- some unexpected, some that you would think, wow, because mm-hmm. normally you think it's in a certain category. It's like maybe this group of believers, but this affected everybody, evangelicals, conservatives, traditional Christianity, mm-hmm. as well as the more contemporary churches. You know, So uh, that really knocked some people around. Mm-hmm. Who, who were quite happy when it was maybe us guys, but then suddenly it's them as well, and they're like, "Wow, here I trusted this guy," I, and and it knocked their faith. And I think that I, it's not a good situation. Obviously, it's not a good situation, but it is good to have your faith come under pressure mm-hmm. to find out what it's like. Because mm-hmm. I think being a disciple for me is a ruthless decision I made mm-hmm. that if doesn't matter how many scandals there are. It doesn't matter how many times you get locked down. If I'm put in a prison for 20 years, I will follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's the commitment. I've made my, I've decided to follow Jesus. And, and I think that that would be the second point. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just talking here. You know, yeah, yeah. The third one was I just developed a distaste for consumeristic Christianity. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt like everybody was stuck at the cross. They were going like, Jesus is my savior. He set me free. All the songs. Oh, he set me free. I'm healed. Oh, he's got a destiny for me. Uh, it's like, I go, well, that's still me at the center. It's still Jesus laying down his life for me. Mm. But I think, I, I, and I just, to say a distaste would be mild. I, I kind of got sick of it. Mm-hmm. I just, feel curdled every time somebody's saying god is just coming into your world to give you the best you know like you're just gonna bless and have peace and and i knew that wasn't quite true anyway Mm. so i think i just wanted to get our people unstuck from staying at the cross where jesus is your savior to getting him to where he is your lord Mm -hmm. so where you're laying down your life for him Mm -hmm. and i think if he's your lord you're going to spend a lot less time at the cross mm-hmm. getting saved because <laughs> mm-hmm. you're going to be living a life where you're doing the right thing with your money, mm-hmm. doing the right thing with your morals and, you know, not getting drunk and sleeping around. And he's the Lord of your life now. Mm-hmm. And he's got boundaries for you. This isn't legalism. This is called lordship. So we discipline mm-hmm. ourselves because he is the Lord of our lives and keep ourselves out of trouble. God gets us saved so that we can live right. Not so that we can live wrong and expect his grace to atone for it all, all the time. That's that's not the message. That's not the gospel. That's not the message of grace. Right. But that's a message I've heard and it troubles me because I think I've seen a few who've bought into it, preachers as well, have taken, you know, who, who have not come off well. Because I think you can it doesn't matter what we do, we'll always have consequences. You might get forgiven by God for it, but uh the consequences can stay mm-hmm. and you, you've got to reconcile with those. Mm-hmm. God can turn it into good. He's a redeemer, but nevertheless, uh, we live comes with its own judgment. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's, that was my motivations for writing the book disciple. And I know that the, the deepest nourishment for a soul is doing what God wants you to do. My food is to do the will of God. Yeah. Jesus said it. So, 
So if I if I can get people to do that, but I know it can't happen unless you've got a life that you're presenting to God mm-hmm. that he's that's useful to him. Mm-hmm. Paul says, hey guys, present your body's a living sacrifice that, that you know approved. If I come to come to somebody and say, look, I got a bicycle here that hasn't got any seat on it, back wheels a bit bent, the front tires flat. The chain's a little rusty and hard to push around, but, you know, you can use it if you like. I'm not going to use it. Nobody's going to use it. Who's going to sit on a bike without a seat? So who's bringing God our life and say, here I am, use me. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> are we, can we ride this horse? Is this horse going to respond to the bridle? And, uh, mm. and I do think that for us to be useful to the Lord, discipleship is essential how do you reconcile that i just think of uh like the antithesis of somewhere where someone might go in their mind how do you reconcile that with like when i am weak then i am strong or my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness um for then my power is made perfect that's this this easy for me to reconcile because i think a disciple helps you take the low seat I think arrogance says I can do this, you know, but the closer I get to Christ, the, real, the more I realize my dependency on him mm-hmm. is essential. And uh, he, he's, he's not looking for my abilities. He's looking for my availability. Mm-hmm. And that comes more through my weakness mm-hmm. than it does through my strength. I mean, uh, I remember the very first altar call I ever took as a preacher, as a youth leader. And I mean, please, I preached a message that Billy Graham would have envied. It was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought. thought. Yes. And so when I gave the altar call, I said, okay. And I was expecting like hundreds to come out. So I'm saying, okay, so those of you coming to receive Jesus, come out now. On you come. People, not a sausage, not one. Not one person wanders yeah. down the front. That's my favorite Australian. Yeah, not a sausage. Is that an Australian saying? Not a yeah, sausage. Must be. Or is that just a Phil Pringleism? Um, probably, probably my. But same with our church. The first church we ran. I mean, we started with fifteen. After three years, that church had exploded to thirty. <laughs> I mean, it was dismal. So I know two things. I can't get people to come down the front. And number two, I can't grow a church. Mm-hmm. That's my weaknesses. But you know, they would be the two strongest areas of my life probably wow. in ministry. Mm-hmm. I've seen hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ mm-hmm. on altar calls. And we've built a lot of churches. Mm-hmm. So I know it's the power of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that would be my, my answer, Jake. Yeah, the reconciliation, I guess is that um, sin is not an excuse for being weak. Right. 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 Yeah. I, I'm making an obvious point just because I don't want people to draw wrong conclusions from what you're saying. <laughs> um, and uh, I think also too, uh, to understand grace as just a, um, an ongoing experience of asking for and receiving forgiveness is to misunderstand grace. Grace yeah. to, to me, from what I understand biblically, is God's empowerment towards us to be able to live for Him and so, to be a disciple. 
that's what grace is there for is to empower us for a life that is beyond us. Totally. Grace has a very broad scope of meaning in various contexts, but definitely empowerment is one of the major mm-hmm. concepts of grace, the, the free giving of power. You didn't earn it. It just comes when you put yourself before the Lord and you say, and he gives it freely, unearned, unmerited. And, uh, and that's that. The, the grace for salvation is that he's provided a pathway for you to repent and to have that in your life for the rest of your days because that one gift of repentance will, will access the forgiveness of Jesus, the blood of Christ, the cleansing power, and the delivering power. So, but if you are unrepentant mm-hmm. and you, you don't enter into that grace, if you're hard-hearted, you're not going to get that grace. So, uh, so some have said, and it, it is troubling, but, you know, once you've repented once at the beginning of your Christian life, you never need to do it again. Mm. Uh, you, you, you'll never, I just don't buy that. Right. Repent it's, daily. Yes, I know. <laughs> Mike needs to it, repent like basically every basically, 30 minutes. Every 30 minutes or so, I'm, <laughs> it, it's necessary. Well, we understand that, Michael. That's, that's you. Um, you know, I mean, I'm just, just the no. words forgive us. As we forgive others, <laughs> right? Is a daily prayer. A daily, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think going back to your motivation for getting this book about being a disciple out? Because you were noticing a lot of this behavior in COVID. Do you think that? Do you lay the blame at? Have we done a poor job of teaching people what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, or have we just? are we just seeing the importance of the gathering and the, the importance of Christians actually coming together in rooms, you know, whether that's for Sunday services or small groups or whatever else, and the role that that plays in actually uh, being proper disciples of Christ. I'm sure it's not an either, or I'm sure there's a truth to both. Um, But I think, I I just think that there has to be something to be said about Mm -hmm. actually getting together has a big impact on, how well we follow the Lord. Totally. We follow Jesus a lot better together than we do apart. No doubt about it. And uh, I'm not arguing for a singular discipleship where you do it all on your own. No, just that is not what discipleship is. It's doing it together. I mean, I doubt that Peter would have told that disabled person at the gate, beautiful, to stand up and walk mm-hmm. if John wasn't with him. Mm. When you got somebody with you, there's a spark, you know, whatever, whatever you call it, ego or accountability or anything. But when you're together, you always do better with, with others. But the, the uh, point of, of uh, disciple, discipleship, like what you're, you're saying, the, the motivation for me to, to, to push it forward is definitely to get people out of the idea that church is the beginning and ending of everything Hmm. uh i think church is the context that god has put on earth in which his son can be discovered walked with grown in and pursued Mm -hmm. but church itself is not jesus so if i think oh i'm reaching out to a person i think i'll get them down to church 
I mean, actually getting them into church is going to, and then the, the unsaid messages, the preacher will do a good job. The worship is pretty dynamic. You know, hopefully they're going to get saved. But actually, that person could lead that their friend to Christ mm -hmm. right there mm -hmm. in the home. They could pray for them right there and, uh, and be a walking God unit and then bring them into church uh, for that journey to begin. Now, you said, uh, are we to blame? Have we done a poor job? I don't think, I, I, I could say yes and no, but I think we have tried to reach the world every week mm -hmm. in our Sunday church meetings. And in doing that, we preach to felt needs. Mm -hmm. You have a financial need. You have a relationship need. Your marriage is, is falling to bits, you know. And, and so I'm going to choose my topic and preach to try and bring healing or help to those areas. But in the process, the believers are sitting there thinking, oh, God just wants to bless me. He wants to help me. He wants to heal me. Rather than us saying, hey, guys, pick up your cross. Uh, pick up your cross, lay down your life. Mm -hmm. And here's the funny thing. I have found that that message is as appealing mm -hmm. to a non-believer as it is, as it resonates in the heart of a believer. Mm -hmm. well, and we should true. not be nervous about mm -hmm. calling people to a, to a life of sacrifice, mm -hmm. of devotion, mm -hmm. of hardship, mm -hmm. of living for Christ, losing you know, kind of all sorts of opportunities and privileges and things in life because you've chosen Jesus. Mm -hmm. We should not be nervous about preaching that. And, and, and therefore, I think, uh, and, and people will, the, the kind of people are going to respond to that, I think maybe even easier to bring into a life of discipleship. So I think, number one, not developing churches developing Christians and not preaching churchianity mm -hmm. but preaching Christianity and I'm a local church guy I'm committed deeply to building it but I realize it's not Christ in terms I know people could say well it's the body of Christ it's Jesus yes. on the earth and and I understand that yeah. but I'm, I'm saying for that to be real every individual believer needs to be connected mm -hmm. to the son of God mm -hmm. and uh, living in that relationship so yeah, I, I think, I don't think we've done a poor job or that we are to blame. I think we have sought to, to do the will of God, reaching the world. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes that message, we, it's almost impossible to divorce the two or to, to accomplish them both in the same message, to reach the lost and to build the church, unless we, as I say, make a call for disciples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I love what you said about how that resonates with people, whether they're a believer or non-believer. The Calvinist in me wants to say it's because God wanted it to resonate with them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I, the, the reason I think it does resonate is because people are being sold, solve all your problems and you'll be happy. They're being sold that from the world. Mm -hmm. yes. And they already inherently know that that's not true because mm -hmm. they get their problem solved and maybe they feel momentary relief, but they definitely don't feel lasting happiness. No. So the Christian message is, is an actual truth, not a lie being packaged as a truth. Right. And I think as you call people to follow him, uh, 
and you're giving them the the actual doorway into following him, then they're not coming in for a rude surprise and finding out actually it's nothing like what it was told to me as. Yeah. We would say something like, Jesus promises you peace. He does. Mm-hmm. He does. There's no doubt about it. You receive Christ. Mm-hmm. The torment of a, of a troubled conscience is gone because you believe you're forgiven and you accept it. And you don't just believe it. You feel it. Mm-hmm. It's actually happened. Mm-hmm. The slate is wiped clean. But the peacefulness of life doesn't come just from that. It comes from taking his yoke upon you. So he said, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And we, we sometimes stop the preaching there. And it's a beautiful scripture. Mm-hmm. He says, you get this rest when you take my yoke upon you and you will have rest for your souls. That means I am yoked in mm-hmm. to a relationship with Jesus forever. And I put it on. He says, you take the yoke. Put it on. It's like take up your cross. I'm not going to put the cross on you. I'm not going to put the yoke on you. That's your choice. Mm-hmm. So I put the yoke on and say, I'm, I'm going to live in relationship with Christ all my days. Mm-hmm. And he'll do the heavy lifting because he's the strong oxen. But together, we will feel, I will feel like, wow, we're really achieving something. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. I love it. The thing with that discipleship book, which you can get on philprindle.com or on Kindle, you know, wherever, mm-hmm. as a downloaded book. We, we haven't created a printed version yet. We're thinking of doing that, but a lot of people just read on their digital mm-hmm. devices these days. But there is sometimes, uh, it, it looks like 27, other times it looks like 30 different qualities of being a disciple in the kingdom in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Mm-hmm. So the beginning of the book is kind of like what we were talking about right now, the, the basis of being a disciple. Then the living out of being a disciple, like going the second mile, forgiving other people instead of getting revenge, a pure heart, um, fasting, being aware of false teachers, or a whole range of things that Jesus taught his disciples. I mean, Jesus didn't waste words when he's talking about false teachers false things and all sorts of stuff coming up. And that's happened, you know, in recent times. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's worrying mm-hmm. to see people pick it up. I mean, I've, especially with the COVID thing, mm-hmm. words have been said that just aren't true and didn't happen. And so people go, oh, well, whatever. And we get inoculated against believing God. And I think if we can... See what Jesus was telling us in those three chapters. It will help us build a solid foundation. He says that, look, when the storm comes, your house won't fall over. Mm-hmm. And that, that he didn't say if the storm comes, is when it comes. And when everyone's gonna have storms. Yeah. So I think as pastors, we are we are duty bound to actually create great foundations for people yeah. so that they get swept away. Dallas Willard talks about um the the only way to really to become like Christ is to, to live like Christ lived. And he pulls out uh, all the spiritual disciplines or just the disciplines of Jesus's life. Things like prayer, things like fasting, things like silence and solitude, and certainly pulling out the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount is a great 
landing place for that. And that's really the only way that we have any hope of becoming like Jesus is for the spirit to help us to make the same kinds of choices that Jesus himself made. Yeah. Obviously in our context, none of us are first century rabbis wandering around the Middle East, but um, well, maybe some people listening to this podcast are, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, maybe. but well, they're not first century. <laughs> Michael Whittle, they're 21st century. He's put his application in. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Burgess <laughs> listens to this podcast. That's kind of what he's doing <laughs> that, that, right now. Right? Yeah. That is. But you know what I mean is, is actually getting down into the nitty gritty is what I hear you saying. And this should affect all of our decision-making and the way that we live our lives. Right. Really want to live up to what a disciple actually is. And, and okay. So let me, let me just finish with, and I think it's important that I just say this, right. that, that uh, I don't know that you'll, you'll get to the end of the new Testament. You can't get to the end of the new Testament without going through Acts 2. Mm-hmm. So what Jesus began, he gave us, this is your lifestyle, people. But he didn't, he didn't say, and it's all up to you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the only problem, I think, with discipleship teaching that I've heard in the past. It feels like a white-knuckle Christianity where sure. I'm like, oh, God, I'm trying so hard to love people. I hate mm-hmm. them. <laughs> They've hurt me. How can I love my boss who just abuses me all the time? You can't. Mm-hmm. It's beyond you. Let's mm-hmm. admit it. You know, there's, there's things you can't do. There's abuse victims who are needing to forgive people. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how, how can that happen except mm-hmm. by the power mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that comes into us? And that's the grace of God that we get this power that causes us to walk. Ezekiel says, I'll put a new heart and a new spirit in you that will, and I will cause you to walk in my statue. So suddenly you've got a mouth that's praying instead of using curse words all the time. You know? Suddenly you've got a brain that's thinking pure thoughts and not addicted to porn. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you've got, you know, just different. You are different by the power of the Holy Spirit. And these, I think, the discipleship teaching of Jesus are railway tracks to direct that power of the Holy Spirit to help us live like that. That's great. Yeah. Hearty amen from us. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Amazing. Thank you, Pastor Phil. We appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure.